Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Giselle Donnelly, and I'm a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I'm joined by my colleague, Dalibur Rojas from AEI, and by Yulia Zoja, senior fellow with the Middle East Institute. On this podcast, we talk about the many challenges to the European peace that have emerged along a line running from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why these matter to the United States. Our guest today is Mark Minkishak, who is the head of the Russian Department at the Center for Eastern Studies. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for joining us. Yulia, why don't you get us started? I'll get us started with a big welcome to Marek and with um, this sort of prelude. Uh, we are flooded in the media over the last few weeks with um, various experts and less so experts on Russia policy. And I welcome that and I read that with great interest. But I'm from Eastern Europe, and I believe that um, Eastern Europe um, for a long time now has had um, the best or the worst historical, the most accurate historical experience with Russia and the Soviet Union. And among us all on the Eastern Front, the people who many of us are here um, on, on a few of us are here on the podcast, um, from all of us, um, the Poles, I am convinced, um, know best um, and have the most accurate historical experience. That, um, I, to that, I want to add the following. Um, they also have been studying recently over the last few decades, Russia in depth um, have built have been building expertise and Poland overall, though we won't go into what Poland is doing in this episode, Poland overall has emerged undeniably as the leader um, among European EU member states in their support for Ukraine. Um, one um, tidbit here before we turn to um, Marek is um, I am I'm pretty sure that uh, Marek's former colleague is um, now the uh, ambassador of Poland to Ukraine. And by the way, the last ambassador still in Ukraine. So um, that, I think, tells um, our listeners enough about um, how um, how good um, Poland has been uh, and how deep it has been in its understanding of Russia. And among many um, Polish analysts of Russia, Marek is for sure one of my favorite ones. So turning to you, Marek, I want to um, ask you an opening question in terms of Russia. Can you help us, and I know how difficult this question is, but can you help us make sense of what has led the Putin regime into the current um, into the current confrontation and horrific invasion of Ukraine? What are um, what are the drivers um, that um, you believe um, the Putin regime has, and what are their aims? Thank you, Yulia, for the great intro and uh, hello to everybody. Well, uh, the, the question you posed is, is very fundamental uh, and I will do my best to answer in relatively short time. 
even if it's not easy. Uh, so first, uh, I think we have to understand that Ukraine is the absolutely key country in terms of uh, Russian uh, policy thinking. Um, for the for the for Putin, for his uh, collaborators, for the Russian elite uh, as a whole. Uh, Ukraine is the most important uh, among the so-called, so-called post-Soviet uh, countries, uh, a country of a uh, key location, uh, the biggest uh, second after Russia potential uh, in the area, and the part of uh, a, a, a certain heritage, political, cultural, mental, which very strongly connects it with, uh, with Russia and their perception. So I think that it's not uh, an exaggeration uh, when Putin says uh, many times that he believes that uh, Ukrainians and Russians are one people. He really, truly believes that. Uh, he also believes that uh, without controlling uh, Ukraine uh, in political terms, in strategic terms, uh, Russia cannot uh, properly uh, describe itself uh, as a great power uh, because in Russian thinking, which is very much uh, shaped by, by certain very vulgar type of realism, uh, Darwinian uh, kind of uh, approach, uh, they believe that there are, <clears throat> there are very few countries in the world uh, who are truly sovereign, who can call themselves great powers. And for any such state, uh, a natural state and precondition for being a, a, a great power is to possess a sphere of influence uh, in geographical terms. So the control of space is key. Um, and uh, within their thinking, Ukraine is absolutely key to, in their perception, for that control of space. Um, so the Russia's policy, Putin's policy, uh, in his more than 20 years of rule, uh, has always been uh, actually to reinstate Russia's strategic control over Ukraine, meaning that Ukraine cannot join any Western uh, structure, especially security structure like NATO, it cannot join any economic or political structure as the European Union. It has to be part of a space which is supposed to be controlled by Russia itself. So the, the goal of Moscow's policy have been considerably consistent uh, over the last uh, 20 years, actually, to push Ukraine, to force Ukraine to uh, join again uh, structures controlled by Russia and reimpose its influence on on, uh, uh, on Ukraine. The problem is, from their point of view, that all the policies they've actually uh, used uh, to uh, uh, succeed in that uh, approach has failed. They failed, all these policies. So economic pressure, energy pressure, uh, sanctions, uh, political pressure, diplomatic campaigns, hybrid warfare, and ultimately use of military force in 2014, 
all these measures which have been taken by Russia have failed to make Ukraine uh, more dependent on Russia. On the contrary, uh, the consequences of these policies were exactly the opposite. So Ukraine became more independent, more strong, uh, free itself from the independence uh, from the purchase of uh, Russian energy, which was very key, uh, uh, changed their uh, economic uh, linkages uh, towards the West. Uh, it has joined uh, association agreement with the European Union. Uh, it uh, increased its cooperation with major Western countries, including with the U.S., including in the military sphere, which was extremely uh, annoying for, for the Russians. So basically, uh, the, the Russia's problem was that despite of being uh, annexing the, the Crimea, which was important for strategic and internal political uh, purposes, uh, and in, in, despite of occupying part of Donbass, Russia was not able to effectively influence Ukraine's uh, policies, both internal and external. What was the, the Russia's goal? Uh, so uh, basically, the, the Russians, Putin, uh, faced a dilemma, what to do. And basically, there were two options uh, before them. One option was to uh, continue longer game, basically... Uh, to enforce, to double down on already uh, uh, existing uh, pressure policies upon Ukraine uh, with, uh, well, unknown uh, uh, possible results uh, and to outweigh Zelensky because they tried to trap Zelensky uh, by offering uh, uh, some very vague promise of, of peace in Donbass for uh, political concessions, but he was uh, actually avoided. He has avoided the, the, this trap. Uh, and the alternative towards these tactics was basically a military option. And they've chosen military option. Uh, and there is another element uh, of that because Ukraine is obvi obviously not uh, only one goal. It's, it's, it's not the goal in itself only for Russia. Ukraine represents, and their current uh, invasion of Ukraine represents a very huge effort by Russia basically to fundamentally change the status quo in Europe. A political and security order in our continent uh, because those people, Putin and his uh, uh, close uh, collaborators of uh, conservative so-called uh, uh, approaches, uh, they truly believe that the current order uh, which exists in Europe is absolutely uh, unfeasible. Uh, it is not uh, possible to accept by Russia it was unjustly imposed on Russia while it was weak in the 90s. So now, when Russia feels much stronger than then, uh, 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 and believes that there are some windows of opportunity, which is again another element of that, because Kremlin do believe that there are several windows of opportunity, including energy crisis in Europe, including uh, pandemics, 
including uh, social and political tensions within the West, including the US, uh, uh, political changes like uh, new government in Germany, presidential election in France, new Biden administration, which was perceived by Russian as uh, uh, more focused on domestic uh, issues and on China. So for all these reasons, they uh, made uh, uh, their choices that it is now for them. They have to act now. They have to act very strongly and they have to basically threaten the West, uh, threaten the West uh, and the make, make the West to basically accept uh, a, a new uh, fundamental changes uh, on the situation in the situation and offer them more concessions, uh, which is again, and this, this is my last point, it is connected with certain image of the West, which is a key uh, uh, for the decision-making in, in Russia. So those people truly believe that basically the West is divided, it is weakened by uh, many layered crises, uh, it is risk-averse, uh, it is not uh, actually uh, able and not wishing to confront Russia. And therefore, it is relatively easy, if not to corrupt, then to threaten the West. The problem is that this kind of assessment uh, is false, at least in, 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 most, uh, in most cases. So the problem is that the Russians... The, the Putin, actually, which is a key decision maker, uh, and this recent uh, events, uh, I would say that even is is the sole decision maker. Um, he basically uh, was wrong. Uh, he completely, um, uh, well, uh, wrongly assessed uh, the Western response. Uh, but the problem is he cannot back down because he cannot uh, look weak. Uh, his image uh, internally is, is the key issue. The, his image versus his own elite is, is the key for the uh, survival of the regime. So uh, unfortunately, my uh, prognosis is that he will not back down on Ukraine. So, uh, yeah. Actually, if I may just jump in, that, that's where I was headed with with my question to you, given this description of Putin's goals, which sound very maximalist, uh, so to speak, uh, the question is, you know, how this can possibly end. And in, in this sort of US debate, in the broader Western debate, there are two broad schools of thought on this. One says that if only we offer Putin an appealing off-ramp or, you know, Sun Tzu's golden bridge to retreat over and, and so on and so forth. There could be a political settlement that will be unsatisfying for the Ukrainians, but that's still the, 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 the sort of path we should take. And the other school of thought that I find myself more sympathetic to is, is, is really the recognition very much similar to, to, to the account you just gave us of, of, of the fact that this can only end with, you know, a destruction of Ukraine as a self-governing country or by the end of Putin's regime. And any intermediate options are going to be inherently unstable and, 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 and will just mean that we'll have 
a perhaps bigger problem on our hands a few years down the road. So, so you know, relative to do, two broad schools of thought, where do you place yourself in, in your assessment of where this is headed? And, and how do you think that should inform Western policies going forward? Thank you. Now, surely I'm I'm more closer to the second one you've uh, you've mentioned, but I would say uh, that it's it's worse than that. Uh, so it is not only about Ukraine. Uh, I would like to stress. Uh, of course, Ukraine is is a very key, very important goal, uh, short term uh, goal actually to use all capabilities Russia have to uh, force uh, Ukraine uh, actually to get into its control. Uh, We don't know exactly what is the detailed plan uh, of Putin for Ukraine now. There could be several uh, uh, possible scenarios, uh, uh, including not only imposition of some uh, 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 new government with Yanukovych or others uh, on top, uh, occupation of the large parts of the country, or uh, basically destruction of the Ukrainian state uh, cr- by creation of, of small statelets uh, um, uh, based on the so-called Donetsk and uh, Ukrainsk People's Republics, uh, but uh, basically several others uh, 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 entities, or even uh, uh, annexation of part, you probably a southeastern part of Ukraine, into Russia. These are still open. We don't know. Uh, there, there are these scenarios. But what I would like to stress is that Ukraine is not the end. It's just a part. Uh, it's just, unfortunately for us, it's just a part uh, of, of, of Russia's policy goal. Uh, Russia would like to uh, not only reimpose its strategic control over over Ukraine, but also Moldova, uh, of course, uh, formalize uh, its uh, its control over Belarus further. Um, uh, but uh, also, it would like to uh, make a Central Europe as a buffer zone, demilitarize not only Ukraine but Central Europe. NATO's eastern flank, Baltic states, uh, and basically roll back U.S. presence uh, in Europe. Uh, Those are the strategic goals, uh, further goals of Russia. Um, And by thinking that we can offer something to Putin basically to stop uh, with Ukraine or in Ukraine, it's it's kind of wishful thinking. of course, Putin may do a break. Uh, he may do uh, a pause in his policies, but uh, he will he will not uh, he will not stop. Um, uh, he will not stop trying, at least, to uh, to go further. Uh, therefore, the the stakes are very high, uh, and uh, unfortunately, I do believe no sanctions now can. Uh, influence Putin in terms of his immediate uh, actions in Ukraine, but those sanctions may somehow influence his uh, cost uh, and benefit calculation, referring to the further steps. And that is the key. And that is why our absolutely uh, strong sanction policy, absolute pressure on Russia, 
by all means, uh, with exception of military means, uh, uh, is absolutely essential because only in the, in case when uh, Putin himself, but above all the elite around him, uh, will be persuaded that there is a so huge cost uh, which uh, is involved with continuation of, of these aggressive policies that he will really think twice about going further. Uh, and that is the key uh, message I would, uh, uh, I would tell. So there are no red lines, basically, uh, for, for Russia. These all red lines are moving. Uh, are, all these red lines will shift uh, immediately whenever Putin will get any uh, concession on, or any new status quo. That was be basically uh, uh, an interim uh, period uh, for him and, and the overall goal. Mark, what I hear you saying, and what you, uh, to pick up on one of your concluding points there, uh, what I heard was that while we have um, an immediate and critical Putin problem, behind it is a much larger and much more deeply entrenched Russia problem. Putin is both, uh, you know, a shaper of Russian strategy and elite opinion and geopolitical ambitions, but he also reflects something that's deeper, more widely spread, and more lasting. What what would you say to that proposition? And and thus, when we concentrate so excessively on Putin, which is very easy to do. Um, we, we miss the larger problem, and we also set ourselves up for, um, you know, uh, uh, a longer term. Well, uh, yes, I do agree that uh, it's, it's not only Putin's problem, it's it's larger problem. There's the problem of, uh, of certain narrow group of people within Russia, uh, mostly uh, with the background in, in secret services, uh, which represent, uh, who represent a specific type of mentality and specific type of worldview, uh, which basically share mostly uh, the assessment uh, by Putin about the West, uh, about the post-Soviet space, uh, and all these resent uh, uh, resentments, uh, all these phobias, uh, conspiracy theories, because they do believe in conspiracy theories. They do believe they, they, they are under attack by, by the West, led by the US, uh, that all the coal revolutions, Arab Spring, uh, Protestant Russia, these were basically CIA special operation. Um, and... Uh, this is exactly it is uh, this right that's that's the that's the bigger problem uh on the other hand uh, the recent events are very telling that uh, there are all indications uh, that uh, the preparations have been made uh, in very narrow circle uh and many uh people around putin including his own government uh, we're not aware of that. We're not aware how far actually Putin is ready to go. They were shocked. 
they have been visibly shocked by by the uh, the this scenario which unfolded uh, recently, and now they uh, they are in real uh, uh, trouble because on one hand they are they fear Putin, uh, they are dependent on him, uh, they invested heavily. Uh, in staying uh, in 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 this system and benefit from that system, but on the other hand, they are suffering personally uh, on in various terms due to the sanctions uh, and oligarchs uh, under pressure and the generally business under pressure, uh, but also members of the broader government which are under huge pressure now. Uh, are visibly stressed, hugely distressed. Uh, but the problem is that the Russian system itself, uh, using this opportunity to also to change in itself, Russia is changing. It's no longer authoritarian state. Russia is changing itself into totalitarian state. Uh, we need to understand that. Uh, there is a dynamics now within Russia, internal dynamics, uh, which clearly suggests that certain lines have been crossed uh, and there is a huge uh, machine of repression and there is a huge uh, the basic uh, uh, absolute crash of any remaining elements of civil society, independent institutions, media. These are basically cra- crashing now. Uh, and the, the, the Ru- Russia will be very different. Uh, uh, after the uh, February twenty fourth, uh, that will be that is already a. Do you think um, how 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 easy is it though to build a totalitarian state uh, within within this time frame that we are talking about? I think many people in the West, you know, they look at Russia and they see, you know, the, they see the Moscovites who are using Apple Pie, Apple Pay to ride on the metro and have access to all the modern amenities who live, you know, lifestyles like ours. And they are skeptical of, of the prospect of, of just sort of subjecting, letting themselves be subjected to, to what does look increasingly like totalitarian rule. And I think there is this sort of hope which is being floated around. And I'm myself sort of very sympathetic to that hope and a hybrid to, to some extent that, that at some point people will say, no, enough is enough. And, you know, there is a steady stream of caskets from Ukraine. Why are we fighting this war? And this guy is, you know, keeping oppressing us. Uh, it sounds like you're very skeptical. I'm a sort skeptical of not because I do not believe that many Russians, uh, especially young uh, uh, Russians, uh, middle-class people, urbanites Russians, are strongly against uh, uh, Putin and, and the current war. I have no much doubt about it. But the problem is uh, they will not uh, uh, openly protest it not to say uh, uh, going for any any uprising against Putin. In reality, when you now, since this day, you can go for 15 years of prison for just saying that uh, what the the Russian troops are going uh, doing in Ukraine is a war, because this is reality now in Russia. Uh, you can go for several years of imprisonment for reposting a critical remark on the internet in Russia. This is the reality. Um, 
so uh, uh, you know uh, we should not really expect too much of people uh, who are under so huge stress and when when the repressive machine is so huge and still strong we need to wait at least some time until the sanctions will really do a bite uh, on on Russia, will undermine uh, uh, further not only the Russian economy, but the cohesion of the Russian elites in its broader terms, and which it is fairly possible. Uh, it will take time, but it does mean that what we need is actually a, a very systematic uh, approach, long-term approach, not to seek uh, any immediate uh, results because they won't be any. You, you actually you can't expect uh, any uh, quick fixes. There won't be. I don't don't believe it. That. But but Marek, um, I know you don't mean it in that way, but we have to say it anyway. This long-term approach means an eternity to Ukraine. Um, and so based on what you were saying earlier, I guess before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you the question of looking at Ukraine from a strategic perspective. What are the options um, that they have in terms of the Zelensky, the Zelensky government to resist? Um, what do you expect? This would be kind of the first thing. The second thing is, how looking at the Putin regime, how do you expect um, this to possibly escalate in terms of chemical weapons used or even worse? And with that in mind and with the urgency that we do have um, with Ukraine, um, how can we in the West and here in Washington, D.C., how can we do better to make a difference while we're waiting for the long-term effects Thank you. These, these are good questions and very important questions, uh, and they are not, not easy answers to that. Uh, obviously, what we, I believe, should focus on is to uh, try to save people's lives, uh, try to help people as much as we can, that means uh, full support for uh, for refugees because there are huge numbers of refugees and there will be much more. Um, and they are very much uh, uh, help and there is a kind of universal sympathy but also very concrete uh, political and legal decisions uh, uh, and economic decisions to support them, which is very important. Um, uh, what else we, we have to and we do uh, supply arms uh, to, uh, to help the uh, Ukrainian people to resist those who are ready to fight uh, unfortunately uh, it has started bit, pro probably a bit late uh, but uh, many of us basically were not prepared for, for such uh, 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 radical scenarios uh, we have to continue that. Uh, what is very important, we should never recognize uh, any new political status quo in Ukraine, whatever it will be, uh, however and whatever it will be uh, uh, proclaimed. 
by Russia. So absolute non-recognition policy is, is, is a key. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I'm talking about already a sort of post-conflict situation, but I, I think we have to be realistic uh, in that terms. On this stage, we have to do everything what we can short of use of uh, NATO or U.S. military force in Ukraine, which is basically off the table for obvious reasons. Uh, we have to do everything to support uh, Zelensky government. But uh, in any further uh, uh, situation, first of all, we have to deny the Russians of any legitimacy of their actions uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and uh, what is also very important, besides the sanctions pressure on Russia, is the or the legal or the legal uh, uh, decisions uh, also concerning to. Uh, uh, investigation of the obvious uh, war crimes and crimes against humanity uh, uh, now, which are which are now committed by Russians uh, in Ukraine, it is very important because uh, um, in the long term uh, it will help us basically to return to this and and basically someday put on trial those people who uh, were part of that. Uh, and it is important for Ukraine also to send those messages. Therefore, I would be very much for the political decisions, having, underst uh, having understanding that it's very uh, difficult actually to make as recognition of uh, uh, candidate status of Ukraine uh, uh, to the European Union. That would be very strong political signal for the Ukrainian society, which is very much important. They, these people need that. These people desperately need uh, not only very practical help uh, from uh, the West, which, which obviously they do, but they will also need political symbols. Uh, and I think we, we, are, we owe, owe them those, uh, really. Mark, uh, you've been very generous with your time. But before you go, I would like to exercise the introducer's prerogative to ask one last question. Um, every poll must look eastward to Moscow, but every poll must also look westward to Berlin. There seems to be an incredible transformation taking place uh, in German hearts and minds, and I'd be very interested Absolutely. in your uh, take on that. This, uh, we, are, we are astonished, uh, I would say. Uh, we have had a, a lot of, um, well, uh, critical remarks uh, for obvious reasons, uh, referring to the EU, the Germans, uh, and others' uh, uh, policies, uh, especially vis-à-vis -vis Russia. Uh, but what has happened uh, over the last 10 days is remarkable. These are watershed moments for Europe, uh, for European security, for European politics, uh, and uh, we are very, very much uh, 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 satisfied uh, about the direction it, it, it is all going, uh, because I think there is a wake up now uh, uh, in Europe in political terms, uh, in terms of uh, uh, approach to, to Russia, to the Russian leadership. I very much hope it will not pass 
uh, uh, after the most dramatic dramatic uh, uh, period uh, of, of current uh, uh, events uh, will, will, will put to an end. Uh, we need, because we need very much uh, uh, petrifying, uh, sort of uh, solidifying uh, this change uh, which is now ha happened uh, in Europe. Uh, it should be reflected in NATO policies, uh, in NATO posture, US posture, uh, EU policies vis-à-vis uh, -vis Russia and Eastern neighborhood. Uh, there should be a very uh, strong uh, uh, and very far-reaching decisions. Uh, I do believe, for example, that it is necessary to, uh, uh, to uh, decouple from Russia, uh, especially in energy terms uh, for the EU. That would be very painful, uh, but this is extremely necessary uh, to avoid uh, any further uh, uh, real problems uh, uh, which we really uh, can face. But again, I would like to stress that we are very happy uh, with, the, with the German government uh, uh, decisions. Uh, uh, Chancellor Scholz uh, uh, basically showed his uh, kind of... Uh, 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 real uh, positive uh, uh, image. Uh, he made the right decisions. He said right words. Uh, and I think there is a strong uh, 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 kind of uh, prerequisite for the huge increase of cooperation uh, within Europe or in terms of security, political, energy cooperation and solidarity. And also it's uh, involves the US-Europe uh, 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 relations, transatlantic relations in general. These are extremely important things now. Well, Mark, thank you for uh, sharing your analysis and your insights uh, with us and with, with our audience. Uh, Mark Mikasek is the head of the Russian department at the Center for Eastern Studies. For me, Giselle Donnelly. And Dalibur Rohaj. And Yulia Zoza. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front. Our podcast is dedicated to examining the security challenges that have arisen along the line from the Baltic to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, aei.org, or at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please be in touch with us on Twitter. We do follow you very closely using the hashtag Eastern Front Pod. That's all one word. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>